we've been in the book of Mark all through Lent. And so today we're going to read the resurrection story, the account in the gospel of Mark. It's Mark 16, and we're going to do verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture, our hearts and minds are open. Amen. Uh, What are you afraid of? You know, when you go and look up uh, childhood fears, just about on every list, uh, you'll find these three things, the dark, uh, water, and bugs. Now, on one of the lists, it said clowns. And I just have to tell you, Monica Williams, who used to be on our team, her and her family, our our church members here, uh, she was taught to swim by a clown. So you put water in clown. That had to have been just a fun time for her. Now, when I was a kid, maybe two to four years old, uh, I had what I've always thought is a strange fear, Now, as I did a little bit of research on fear this week, I found out that this is a pretty common fear amongst kids, but I didn't know it at the time. I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, I was scared of flushing the toilet. Don't know what or why or what I thought would happen. Uh, But after getting in trouble for uh, not flushing the toilet on multiple occasions, uh, I devised a plan take care of business, wash my hands, open the door, and run. (laughs) Well, flush the toilet, then run. (laughs) You know, Psychology 101 teaches us that next to food, water, and air, one of the most basic needs we have as humans is safety. Safety and security keeps us from getting into harm's way. You know, uh, these needs like shelter, job security, health, uh, safe environments. If a person feels afraid, then they're less likely to thrive. 
Now, this is why politicians on both sides of the aisle use fear in order to get you to vote for them because it's much easier to make you afraid of the other side than it is to inspire you uh, into following their kind of ideas and way of life. Now, it's not just the politicians that use fear. Lots of places in our society use fear in order to help control people. And the church is no exception. Church leaders over time have abused people by using fear rather than inspiring them to live in a different way. Lots of problems with that, but one of the main problems with that is throughout the Gospels, it reassures us not to be afraid because Jesus beat death. We don't have to be afraid. Uh, this has been a, a fun and yet perplexing uh, sermon to write for me. Fun because we've read all the way through the Gospel of Mark, and so uh, writing something that is informed by that intentional study has been a lot of fun, and it's been a little bit perplexing be, because of the complicated nature of the end of Mark, and I'll get into that in just a second. But Mark's gospel was written to a people who were afraid. You see, fear had gotten into this young church. They had just gotten their feet under them, and they were rattled. They had now becoming persecuted for their faith, not just by the Roman government, but also by the temple leaders. Uh, one of the main goals of the entire gospel is to help reassure people to be able to change their hearts and lives so that they can follow the kingdom of heaven. You know, we have basically three responses when it comes to our fear, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. We see all three of these in Mark right here at the end. Fight, in our readings this week, in Mark 14, we read where one of the disciples cut off the ear of one of the servants of the temple leaders. Uh, we see flight, once Jesus has arrested all of the disciples, not some, not most, all of the disciples flee and scatter. And in our text today, we see the women freeze. Mark 16, 8. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing, for they were afraid. They, were afraid. they said nothing. They froze in fear. Uh, an interesting note about this verse, at least it's interesting to us uh, um, Bible nerds. Uh, the earliest collection of Mark, first of all, the Bible 
is a group of stories that, that was first passed down by word of mouth, right? And, and then as the culture was able to write things down, the people felt like, hey, maybe we should write some of these stories down. And so there are multiple manuscripts of, of biblical text. And the earliest ones in Mark end with this verse right here. That's the end. Now, you look, open your Bible, you look, you've got 12 more verses, I think. It goes through verse 20. But the earliest one's in here, and I decided to stop our reading here because I wanted us to look at what maybe the earliest of Jesus' followers would have heard in this story of Mark. Um, we've spent so much time in this wonderful, rich book, but this ending is kind of tough, isn't it? I wonder what they would have heard with this shorter ending. ending. Our, our reading begins early in the morning. It's dawn. And uh, the, the three women, Mary, Mary and Salome, are heading up to the tomb to perform the ritual of cleansing, the ritual you would perform for your loved ones before they are buried. Uh, they make their way to the tomb and they're having this conversation along the way of, of who's going to roll the stone away so that we can get in and do what we've come to do, to take care of Jesus, their last act of caring for Jesus. They get there, the stone's rolled away. They go in and this is what happens. This is Mark 16, four through five. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been already rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I wonder what they were afraid of. Uh, maybe they fear that it was the last chance that they would be able to care for Jesus, and it's gone. Maybe they were afraid that this was one more way that the leaders of the day were putting their stamp on Jesus being a fraud. You know, maybe they thought that they came and they stole Jesus away from them. First they take his life, and now they take his body. Easter in Mark begins with fear. And sensing this moment, this man in white, I think, tries to assure them. He tells them, because Jesus beat death, that we don't have to be afraid. Mark 16, 6, but he said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, 
There is the place they laid him. It's the Easter proclamation. (laughs) He is risen. It's the hopeful message that we have been waiting for all this time during the season of Lent. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. The worst thing is never the last thing. The idea of changing our hearts and lives can be overwhelming for sure. But the good news is, as the the gospel writers, he's sharing What he's saying is not dependent on people. The good news is about Jesus Christ, about the kingdom that Jesus has been proclaiming, a kingdom that cannot be stopped by anything. Not by the Jewish temple leaders, not by the Roman government, not even by his own knuckleheaded disciples. Not even death. Because Jesus beat death, we don't have to be afraid. Uh, as Methodists, uh, we, we believe that, that uh, transformation doesn't happen overnight. Uh, changing our hearts and lives is simply just doing that next thing making a small change and over time sticking with it, which produces transformation. This is how we bridge the gap between our own knuckleheaded discipleship and who God is calling us to be. I mean, what is the 1% change that this Easter story is calling for us to do? Well, I think there's a lot that we can pull from from this scripture, but I want to just take a look at a a few things that I think that can help us bridge that gap and more authentically follow Jesus. Uh, I think one of the first things is these three women in the story, they modeled that we need to let go of control. 16, 3, they had been saying to one another, who will roll the stone away from us from the entrance of the tomb? You know what? I love how they did not let what they couldn't control stop them from doing that next thing. On the way up to the tomb, they were saying, hey, who's going to roll that stone away? They didn't know. They didn't let that stop them from gathering the spices, the perfumes, and heading up there to do that last act of care for Jesus. You know, how many times do we not do something just because we think it's impossible uh, when the pandemic first hit and we, we were quarantined at, at home, Asbury uh, offered one online service, and it was the traditional service. And, and we did that because we didn't think we'd be doing it very long. 
But as you know, it went on and on and on. And, and it gave me a little bit of time to kind of dream about what our modern service could be. And Jeremiah uh, was working with our students, and we had become friends, and we were talking about stuff in this service. And I finally got up to courage to ask him, would you be willing to come on board and help us with modern worship? And he said, maybe, but let me tell you a little bit about how I do things. He said, I'm not going to be up there singing every week. We're going to recruit and train people to lead the people. And I thought, man, that's a great idea. It's impossible, but that's a great idea. And so I let go, and I said, sure, man, if we want to do that, let's do it. Well, almost three years later, I meant to ask Jeremiah how many are on the team, and I forgot to, but it's close to 30-something that rotate and serve and sing each and every week. And uh, Jeremiah was up here today. If you don't know Jeremiah, he was the one with the beard on the very end. It's the first time he's led up front. Now, he's played back here and been in the booth, but it's the first time he's led up front since January the 1st. And how blessed are we each and every week with the kindness and wonderful people who come in and play and sing for us here in this service. Another way for us to push through our fear is to search for where Jesus is already working in the world. Uh, verse seven says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Uh, one of the things I love about the resurrection story in the four gospels is all of them, Jesus is not in the tomb. You know, in Matthew, it's an angel who is proclaiming that he is not here in Luke, we have the best line in all of the resurrection stories when uh, the, the man dressed in white says, why do you look for the living among the dead? And in John's gospel, it's the only one that puts Jesus close to the tomb, but he's not in the tomb. In fact, he's incognito. Uh, if you remember, Mary thought he was the gardener. In all four Gospels, Jesus is off to that next thing. In Mark, he's off to Galilee. If you remember at the beginning of Lent, Jesus was sent into the desert and was tested for 40 days. Then he started his ministry in Galilee. He called his disciples in Galilee. He preached, teach, perform miracles in Galilee. And then this man in white tells the women, he is where he told you he would be. He's in Galilee. And these words are not just for the disciples, they're for us too. Uh, Jesus is not just sitting around waiting for us to do something. Jesus is already out in our neighborhoods. He's out among our families, he's out where we work, he's in our schools already doing stuff. And it's our job as disciples to search him out and go see where he's already at work and do that. 
If we let go of control and search for Jesus, then we just need to take a moment and breathe. So they went out and fled the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. It's pretty obvious that the women didn't just say nothing, right? It's pretty obvious even to the early church because the early church decided they needed to add more verses to help close the loop on Mark. That they didn't just say nothing, they went out there, but first they took a moment to breathe, to rest, to pray, to wrap their mind around what has just happened. You know, prayer is a powerful tool. In fact, in, in, in secular studies, uh, meditation has shown that it can help people have the courage to do hard things. Uh, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, went away to pray, to talk to the Father, to breathe. And if Jesus, the Son of God, would go out to pray, why do we think we shouldn't? I want to ask the worship band to come back up as we close our time together this morning. What are you afraid of? Perhaps you might be afraid that the pageantry of Easter will go away and you haven't even seen him. Maybe you're afraid that you'll retire to an afternoon meal with family and friends and you won't even be touched by God. Or maybe <laughs> you're afraid that what the book of Mark says is absolutely true and that Jesus is already out ahead of us waiting for us to do something. And if what the book of Mark says is absolutely true, when we do go out there, we're gonna find ourselves being asked to do something that's gonna totally mess up our day and our routine just like it did the disciples. And that we're going to have to get to work. I hope that this Easter that Jesus grabs us in a way that propels us into a wild venture. That sends us in a direction that fills us with terror and amazement. And I pray that we have the same resilience as the two Marys in Salome, and that we too can change our hearts and lives. The good news, we don't have to be afraid. Jesus beat death. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to 
believe, <laughs> believe what we sing, believe what we read. Help us to search you out, to find out where you're already working out there and that we can go and be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I hope you'll make it a point to come back next week. We're going to continue this conversation about how we have resilience to live out our faith. We're going to be looking at ancient words in the Hebrew and how those words can give us the courage and resiliency to live out our faith. That we can turn bad things into good things, that we can really believe that the worst thing is not the last thing. When we give to the church, we give more than our resources, we give ourselves. And I pray that we'll give ourselves to Jesus this Easter. Let's stand, let's sing together.